This podcast brought to you by ACES, the American Society of Information Science and Technology, the Society for Information Professionals, by the IA Summit, the premier gathering place for information architects and other user experience professionals, by Boxes and Arrows. Visit boxesnarrows.com slash about slash participate to be a part of your peer-written journal. And special thanks to Axure and Moray for sponsoring Boxes and Arrows, as well as the many other sponsors of the IA Summit. Senior user experience consultant and business analyst at Evantage Consulting, Fred Beecher, shows his audience how to determine what, for your particular situation, is the most effective way to use prototyping to improve the user experience of your site or software. He shares the factors that influence how effective various prototyping methodologies will be and how to choose wisely, what level of effort you will need to invest in prototyping in order to get useful feedback, as well as how to permanently integrate prototyping into your software development process in a way that is effective for your organization. I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. What I am talking about today is how to integrate effective prototyping into your design process. And the, the reason that I've worded it like that is because uh, at Evantage, um, the company that I work for, we have gotten a lot of clients coming to us saying, we want a prototype. Um, they think that it's the solution to all their problems. And while I say that um, prototyping is, it's not a silver bullet, but it is a very high silver content bullet. So <laughs> if you go into a, a prototyping exercise without really thinking about it, um, yeah, it'll be helpful, but it'll just take your werewolf problem and transform it from a big, scary Lon Chaney werewolf to a completely, totally, utterly bizarre, bass-playing party animal werewolf problem. But see, the issue is, is you've still got a werewolf. So um, what I want to talk to you guys about today is how to choose the appropriate prototyping methodology to answer the questions that you need answered. Because prototyping, like, OK, and now I'm going to step into some hot water from yesterday, like sitemaps and wireframes and all the deliverables and stuff that we do, prototyping is just a tool. It's a tool that answers questions and, and communicates our ideas. So it's not, it's not a religion. <laughs> There's not a right way to do it. Hopefully everyone read that in the brochure. Um, but there are certain questions that come up that prototyping is good for answering. And uh, it, it, those questions are different based on different contexts. And we'll talk about um, how to determine uh, uh, the right, or, or not the right, but the appropriate methodologies for answering those questions that come up at different points in the process, as well as within different contexts in which you may be doing design. And then I'll also talk about how to um, actually integrate prototyping into your design process if it's not currently there already. So the basis for making these, the decision on what methodology is appropriate is largely based around Fidelity. Now, when we usually talk about fidelity, we talk about it as a thing. Uh, we don't talk about it as having any sort of nuance or any different type of fidelity. We talk about a high fidelity prototype or a low fidelity prototype. Um, and one of my former coworkers just popped in, Christy Olson, sitting down there in the front. Um, when she used to work for us, and I'm going to rub it in, um, <laughs> We were bouncing around a, a lot of ideas uh, about this, and I just want to give her a quick shout out as to uh, thank you for 
helping me work out this idea what we're about to talk about. So um, fidelity has multiple dimensions. There are two primary dimensions. And what we usually think of when we think of fidelity is visual fidelity. How close does the system look to the system that's actually going to be developed? But if we take a look at some of the different aspects or the different levels of visual fidelity and, and the prototypes that we can do, we can see that it, that's not all that there is. So down there in the corner, hopefully you guys can see that, we have wireframe sketches. So you can sketch out your wireframes, um, put them in a pile, and run people through them. And that's a very low visual fidelity prototype. Now I just want to step into some more hot water and talk about defining the damn thing a little bit. What I consider a prototype is not a flat piece of paper. A sketch is not a prototype. If you have two sketches, that's a prototype. You need to be able to kind of go back and forth um, and, and, and get a, a sense of flow. So kind of moving up the ladder here, you have something that uh, we're fairly familiar with from the olden days, um, a paper prototype that is like a wireframe that you generate out of Visio or OmniGraffle or whatever tool you happen to be using. So it's not a sketch. I mean, all the lines are straight. You can read all the words. Um, but it's still fairly low visual fidelity. And then up there at the top, we have um, printed out JPEGs, essentially, or printed out PSDs. Uh, it looks very much like a real shiny website, but still, it's flat paper. So what's missing there? What's missing is functionality. Um, that is the other major dimension of fidelity that we need to pay attention to when we are looking at um, getting questions answered and uh, communicating our, our ideas through prototyping. So moving down this particular path, if we move up a little bit from wireframe sketches, we have um, something that's fairly interesting, which would be uh, sketches that you have scanned in and image mapped. And then people can work through uh, your prototype instead of on paper in a web browser. So it's a little closer to working with the actual thing. Um, is, what I mean by functional fidelity is how similar working with the prototype is to working with the actual developed system. So up here on the, on the further end, we're going to keep going up a little bit because as we get to higher levels of functional fidelity, um, we kind of can't really escape um, higher levels of visual fidelity. So this is one of my favorite types of prototyping up here, proof of concept prototyping. And we'll talk about that, what exactly that is in a little bit, but a really quick definition for me is when, you, um, when you've got a specific critical interaction that you just want to see if that interaction works, you can do a real quick, dirty, interactive prototype and put it in front of people and see if your design ideas are crazy or awesome or somewhere in between. Moving up a little further, is um, what I would call a low visual fidelity interactive prototype. And this is where I spend most of my time. Because um, my prototypes still look like wireframes, but they're not, I guess, they're not technically wireframes anymore because they move around. Um, and <clears throat> I find this particular um, aspect of prototyping to be very, very important in a modern web and software development environment because the stuff that we're developing nowadays is a lot more rich. The page means less than it used to. Um, a lot of the interact we have we have oftentimes a lot of really small interactions 
on a single page, and they combine to make a, a much greater whole. And I find to get good information about whether or not these designs work, it's crucial to do um, a, a, a fairly high functional fidelity prototype. So moving up even further, we have um, a high visual and high functional fidelity prototype, um, which both looks very much like the system, as well as feels like it. It, it works much like the, the real system would. Uh, and there are a few situations in which this is, is very useful. And we'll, we'll definitely be talking about these today. Now up there on the very tippy, tippy top is um, a, a prototyping methodology that I spend a good amount of time dissing. Um, that is the production-ready prototype. But because um, this, this talk is about appropriate prototyping, and there are situations in which production-ready prototyping is appropriate, I just never find myself in them. So of course, I think the world revolves around me, so I spend a lot of time bad-mouthing it. So you'll notice that there's a big fat hole in the middle of this graph. In, uh, to fill in that hole, we have some interesting things. Well, some of them are interesting. Clickable wireframes, I find this somewhat interesting. This would be, this is kind of where I started with interactive prototyping, because it was just before the whole web 2.0 thing happened, and um, I've always been really interested in prototyping, and um, Actor came along. Some of you probably know me as the Actor guy. Um, so yeah, so I, I got really into it at, at, at that time. Um, but since then, uh, wireframes are still somewhat flat, and it's going from page to page to page. I've found that at, at Evantage, at least, we're not designing a lot of systems like that anymore. So I tend not to spend much time in that particular space. But if we move up a little bit, um, we do spend some time in this space. And uh, I got to give a shout out to Todd Zaki Warfel. Are you here, Todd? There you are. Um, I think it was Todd who co coined the term slap and map. I love that term. Actually, there was a, uh, somebody, some of my uh, coined it, and I just stole it. Oh, OK. Well, then, to the an anonymous survey. Uh, OK. <laughs> All right, well, whoever came up with this term is, is, is great. Um, but what this is, is it's, it's image map JPEGs. So you have the visual design applied to the system, and then someone can still interact with it through a web browser by clicking through it. And this is really useful for, um, uh, for a number of, of different situations, particularly uh, when it comes to figuring out usability issues introduced by the visual design, which I know never, ever happens, does it? So. <clears throat> These, these are, are the real dimensions of, of fidelity where um, there can be all sorts of different places in between. These are, these are just some common examples. But there are a couple of other dimensions of fidelity that are more either or. Um, the first one is technical fidelity. And that's what we talked a little bit about with the upper right of that graph. Um, and, and by this, I mean production-ready prototypes. And from my perspective, because um, I, I understand a little bit of programming. I can kind of pick my way through an HTML or CSS or JavaScript file, but I couldn't code my way out of a paper bag. So from my pers perspective, at least, prototypes are either uh, production ready or they're not. So it's kind of an, an either or sort of a thing. Now, the issues that I have with, pr with production ready prototyping are that um, it can constrain design at an inappropriate point in the design process. When I'm concepting, 
Um, when I'm trying to solve a problem, I don't need to be constrained. I need to be free. I need to, I need to be free. I should have said that with more emphasis the first time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and this is not to say that we should completely ignore technical constraints, but during the ideation process, we need to be free to come up with whatever crazy ideas, test them to determine the level of craziness, and at that point, then we can collaborate with everyone else that we need in order to make the system um, and, and figure out how to, to make that happen. Because um, development, I find to be a very, people who are in development are creative. And um, this might be a little bit stepping over on some toes here, but I believe that they can have input and it's appropriate to have some of that input in, into these um, design decisions. The other issue is that it's expensive and time consuming. Um, because, it, in, and remember, this is all from my perspective. Um, and can't code my way out of a paper bag. So I need someone else to do that for me. Um, and I need someone else to do that while I'm doing the user experience design. So we've got two people doing two things who so are doubling the cost, plus we have to keep the experience design deliverables and the prototype in sync. And that's not fun. But this still can work in different situations. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm all about have other people having different situations than me. It's okay. Um, it can work if you have mad coding skills. Yoni, are you here? There you go, in the back. I talked with him at the airport at, in Vancouver, and we were talking about this, and he said that he designs in code. And that's totally cool. I could not design in code. <laughs> You would not want to see the, the uh, output of that. Um, but for him and for other people with those skills, that's perfectly appropriate. That's like me with a, a pencil and paper. So it's all good for you guys. Also, I, I've seen this work well in an organization that has a lot of resources, um, where there's a lot of development staff, there are, there's a, a lot of user experience staff, and people are doing a lot of work. There's a lot of software development going on. This can work very well. And we'll talk specifically about how to make that happen in a little bit. Um, now, the next one, Christina Halverson, are you here? Oh, she's not here. She would like this. Um, the next dimension of fidelity that I want to address is content. Um, because, and this, most people don't consider content when you consider a prototype. But the thing is, is that a prototype is not just interaction. What are you interacting with? Information. And information is content, whether it's data, whether it's text, what, whether it's pictures, whatever. Um, so your prototype is not just interaction. You need to consider the content when you go into it because content plays a huge role in testing. And for us as user experience people, um, or information architects, or experience designers, or whatever you want to call yourselves, this is the whole point of prototyping, or, or at least the main point. So you don't want to ignore content going into this. Um, you absolutely cannot have a... <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> OK, seriously. Um, I have no idea how I did this. Lori, I blame you. <laughs> All right, well, um, yeah, I'll just talk, whatever. <laughs> so much like you can't have a presentation without slides, 
Um, you, you can't have a prototype. What's that? Okay. Well, you can't have a prototype without content. There's just no getting around it. Um, but if you test a prototype with crappy content, you'll get crappy data, and I know because I've done it. Um, so this is, this is a lesson learned the hard way. Um, and what I call crappy data is data that is full of confounding factors, which I believe is a technical social psychology term. Because if you have crappy content and you've got people trying to find a, you know, a, a particular object or something in your prototype, that's your task, people may not understand that they have actually succeeded or failed. So you won't really get a good picture of uh, a user's understanding of the system if you have crappy content. So now, that doesn't mean that you have to have all of your content written. Everything has to be perfect before you go into prototyping. But what you do have to have is you have to have plausible content. Make it make sense within the context of whatever the system is. That will allow you to really observe user understanding during the prototype test and not um, how well people can interact with this crappy little prototype you just made. So I've spent uh, a whole lot of time talking about fidelity. And now I'm going to talk about a guy who says there's no such thing as fidelity. Um, now this is, you can't read it anyway, but um, this, is, <laughs> this is a paraphrase of something that Bill Buxton said in his keynote at Interaction 08. There is no such thing as high or low fidelity, only appropriate fidelity. Now I completely disagree with the first part of this, but I completely agree with the second part. Um, because as we can see, I'll show you a sketch in just a second. That's low visual fidelity. That's low functional fidelity. We can see it. It's there. However, um, there are times when that's appropriate and times when it's not appropriate. And that's the whole point of this talk, is we'll figure out when those times are. So again, strong agreement with the whole appropriate fidelity thing. So let's take a look at some of these different prototyping methodologies to see where they are appropriate. I, I, oh, man. So there's a lot more color in this sketch than there usually are in my sketches. Um, but yeah, my sketches are crappy. I, I really can't draw at all. But what they're, what they're good for is they're good for getting those thoughts out and running people through those prototypes really quickly. Um, what I have found is that these low visual fidelity, low functional fidelity prototypes are really good for discovering big things like missing functionality. Um, parts of the workflow that, that don't make sense. Maybe something happens before it should normally happen. Um, that sort of thing is what these uh, really low fidelity, uh, both visual and functional prototypes are, are good at finding. <clears throat> also, one of the cool hip new things in experience design over the last couple of years has been the, uh, the adoption of the idea of concepting, where we come up with a multitude of user experience design concepts and then kind of whittle out the ones that suck from the ones that don't suck. So um, this is a, a good way to do that. I mean, you can do that through talking with stakeholders and, and blah, 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 blah. But testing is a lot more fun. It's a lot more um, user focused. So I, I found that this is a, a good way to help narrow down some of those concepts. Um, the other thing that it's really good for is to get some consensus from your stakeholders on um, whether, and whether or not you're going in the right design direction. One of the things that you'll find yourself saying a lot if you integrate prototyping into design is, is this what you meant? 
because that's the, that's the second really important thing that prototyping can do, and that's to facilitate communication. For us, mostly what we're focused on is in testing and, and usability and that sort of thing. But um, when I do actor trainings, this is very difficult for me to admit in front of such a large audience, but I'm mostly teaching business analysts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like I'm giving AK-47s to small children. It's a real nightmare sometimes. <clears throat> but what they're trying to do is they've got a massive communication problem between themselves and the developers. They put together their um, page mockups in PowerPoint or whatever and try and do some specs and give them to the developers and then they get this system back that's not at all what they wanted. So they are trying to use prototyping as the silver bullet and they're ending up with these drunken bass playing werewolf problems instead of the, uh, the scary problems. Yay! Thank you. <clears throat> so yeah, now, now you can read uh, and now you probably don't want to see the sketch. I'll put it up on, on slide. You want to see it? All right, there's my crappy sketch. <laughs> see what I mean? My sketches suck, but they're good. They're, they're useful in certain contexts, so. So um, moving up a level from uh, low visual fidelity and low functional fidelity to low visual fidelity and high functional fidelity, this is, again, the area that I spend most of my time in, we end up getting things that look more like this. This is uh, a fairly interactive prototype. Um, there's a lot of different dynamic stuff that are, that's going on here. Um, and there's, we tested this in a number of different ways, and uh, I'll talk about that briefly. But, um, oh no. This is one way in which Keynote is not good, because it does not, it goes back to the beginning of the slide, not the last animation. But, um, so what I find these prototypes to be really good for, or this type of, or prototyping at this level of fidelity, both visual and functional, is to really use testing as a design tool. I'll come out and admit this straight away, I hate huge usability testing projects. For, uh, that's just, it's boring, it's not terribly interesting, and I don't think it's terribly cost effective. But I love usability testing when I'm doing design. Because what this tells me is it tells me, do my ideas suck or do they not suck? I can be completely crazy in my ideas and who knows, maybe it works. But I'll know for sure whether it works when I put it in front of people and they succeed. I'll know for sure whether it doesn't work when I put it in front of them and they fail. Not like that's ever happened, of course. Um, you know, one of the things we did with this uh, prototype that's in the background there is we did some proof of concept testing. And what we did is we tested this map concept um, <clears throat> before we built out the whole site. Um, and the reason that we did that is because that interaction was kind of the focus. The key of that particular site, the key business driver of that site was going to revolve around that interaction. So we wanted to get that right before we put the whole site together. And of course, we didn't get it right, or I should say, I didn't get it right. Um, what, we, what, we, what I designed worked well, but there was a whole chunk of functionality that was actually missing. So um, the prototype test, the proof of concept test, really helped us figure that out, and it helped us figure it out quickly. And when we went back and did a more comprehensive prototype test, everything worked uh, a lot more smoothly than it did in the proof of concept test. The other thing that um, high functional fidelity prototyping really enables is remote usability testing. Uh, at eVantage, 
every year, more and more of our testing is done remotely. Um, who here does, would say they do more remote testing than local testing? Yeah, see, and I, I bet if I ask that question next year, there'll be even more and more and more people who are, are, are raising their hands. Um, now, getting back to the, the communication section, or, 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 or you, the communication use of prototyping, um, once you have something that, that moves around a lot, um, then you can validate, again, your UX design direction with your, with your stakeholders. Now, people are kind of dumb. Um, we like things that are shiny, and we're, we like things that move around. So when you um, show things that at least move around to stakeholders, they get a little bit more interested. You can get a little bit more buy-in. Um, and a little bit more tactically, you can also validate how business requirements have been implemented in the, um, in the user experience design. So if you're working with business analysts, you can say, is this what you meant? in your requirements and, uh, and work back and forth and make sure that that gets developed appropriately before anything goes to development. And then um, another interesting thing, and actually this last bullet point here is kind of the germ of a whole other talk or, or, or something that's kind of on fire in my head, but the idea of supplementing um, printed documentation for development. Now, uh, I'm strongly of the opinion that Paper documentation is on its way out. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with that idea, but uh, maybe we'll find out next year. Um, need need a little, little bit of time to noodle on it. But um, okay, moving on to some of the different types of, of prototyping. Um, one of the other things that you can do is a high visual fidelity but low functional fidelity prototype. So this would be um, like a big pile of JPEGs sitting in a, in a binder or on a table and you're going through a paper prototype test with the JPEGs instead of um, like a, a Visio wireframe. Um, another option is to do um, something like this, which was a, a device that um, Lori and another usable, usability consultant at Evantage and I worked on together um, where uh, we did kind of a high visual fidelity version of um, what a, a physical hardware device would look like. So what these are really good for is discovering usability problems introduced by visual design. Like I said before, of course, this never, ever happens. Um, you can also uh, find uh, uh, problems with workflow if you're working with non-savvy users. Now, I hate that term. There has got to be a better term. but. With this particular project, with this device, we were going into people's homes, and um, the people who we were working with were 70, 80 years old, um, so you know, they weren't as embedded in technology as a, a lot of us are. So if we were to put a wireframey looking thing there or something that didn't look like a physical thing that you could push, um, we wouldn't have gotten a lot of good data from those evaluations because they would have been more confused about what the thing was or what they were doing. Um, rather than um, being confused about how the thing works, which is what we want to find out. Whoops. All sorts of technical issues today, <clears throat> including with my robotic arm. Um, so <clears throat> what you see up there is not the only form factor we worked with. We, we worked with a, a whole array, array of form factors, um, and again, we want to really give people a, a vision of what this is going to look like. So you can 
iterate through multiple different, um, or multiple different possible form factors in this sort of format. Um, the, the next thing I want to talk about is high visual fidelity, high functional fidelity prototypes. Now this obviously isn't super high fidelity because I've had to zonk a little bit of the stuff out, but um, the, it's an example of a, a prototype that we did that meets a lot of the, the criteria that I'm going to talk about right now. So if, you are, if you've got an existing system and you're adding functionality to that system that integrates with the system, you don't want to be going from the existing system to your crappy wireframe looking prototype because that's going to introduce confounding factors and screw up your data. And the whole reason that you're doing this is to really get a clear understanding of um, whether or not your design is, is usable. Um, again, user testing with non-savvy user groups. Got to think of a better term for that. But um, with this particular um, project that you see, the, the, you know, the people who we were testing with used this system day in, day out, but they wouldn't get it. Uh, they wouldn't get that a wireframe was, um, it was supposed to represent the system that they use every day. So again, that would give us crappy data if we were to test with a wireframe looking prototype. Um, and the, what's going on here? Okay. <laughs> um, the other thing that we can use this for is supplementing printed documentation for offshore development teams. Who here works with offshore resources? Yeah, a lot of you. So you guys probably know about um, how specific you need to be um, with these people in, in, in getting your, your site developed because a lot of the time you'll get back exactly what you asked for. You know, it's like, it's like uh, asking for a wish from a genie. You have to be very careful because if you wish for a million bucks, that's a lot of venison. Um, the other thing that I, I want to talk about here is that, is, again, production-ready prototypes. Um, by definition, these are high visual and high functional fidelity. Um, and getting back to stakeholders for a moment and, and people being dumb, um, high visual fidelity and high functional fidelity prototypes are very shiny and they move around a lot. So they're really hard for stakeholders to resist. So if you need buy-in, maybe this is the, the sort of time where you need to invest the eff extra effort in making it um, a little bit higher visual fidelity than you would normally need to just to do your um, user testing. So these are the questions that, um, or, or, or the, the abilities that different levels of um, fidelity can address in, uh, in your prototyping endeavors. So if you want to actually integrate prototyping into your existing design process, um, it's not that difficult. Um, it's just remembering why you're doing it and, and to, to be conscientious about how you're doing it. And the first thing is, if you're going to do anything like this, you start small. Just like adding UX to um, or user experience to an existing software development process, you need to sm start small and, and, and publicize your small wins. Um, where we started is with that, that map-looking prototype. And uh, I believe at that point I did that on the free trial version of Axure. And now, uh, just a couple of months ago, that was a few years ago, and a couple of months ago uh, at eVantage, we actually decided, uh, or formally decided, we're not doing flat wireframes in, in Visio anymore. So in a couple of um, years, we have full buy-in throughout our organization. And with that particular client, they got full buy-in to the, or they had full buy-in to the design because they were able to um, 
see some of that interaction work. Now, th the other thing that is important when it comes to integrating this into your process is to know exactly why you're doing it. What questions do you want to answer? Uh, and a lot of the time, these questions vary based on where you're at in your process. Um, early on, the questions tend to be more structural. You're looking for answers to big questions. Do I have everything? Um, is everything in the right order? Later, um, the questions you're answering, you need answers to are, does this work? Does this make sense? There's a lot of nuance there that you need to get into. So once you figure that out, then you need to choose a level of fidelity that's a, import, or that would appropriately address those questions. Lower fidelity stuff is great for more structural questions. Higher fidelity stuff is good for more um, nuanced questions. And then you, um, you choose that, uh, an appropriate methodology that would work at the levels of fidelity that you need. And then you evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. Once you get through your test and you find out, you know, you can find out how much you learned from failing or, or that you validated that something is going to work before it even went into production. Um, that's very effective. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through um, a few different environments in which you may find yourselves and, and talk about some things that I've seen work well in these environments as regards to using different um, prototyping methodologies. So first off, I want to talk about a situation in which you work for a big company. Um, you've got, you're working with developers who have jumped on the agile bandwagon, and you've got a mature user experience, uh, user experience design team. Who here kind of fits into this category? All right, pay attention. Um, the first thing that you want to do is to develop the detailed scenarios that you want to test. And what I teach in my actual classes, and this is completely valid for every form of prototyping, I would say, is to do your test plan first. Know what you want your prototype to do before you even start drawing it or, or, or laying it out or whatever. Um, and as part of that, and this is going back to what I was saying earlier about content, you get the detailed content. Um, from these scenarios that is going to fit into these scenarios so you can build that into your prototype right away so you don't have to deal with crappy data uh, from testing. Um, because you are a mature user experience practice, you are right up there um, kind of at the forefront of the practice and so you're probably doing a lot of sketching, you're probably doing a lot of concepting. So you can concept those sketches um, and, and, and you know maybe build them out from individual sketches into um, a, a multi-page prototype and go through that, test those, and, um, and help, that'll help you figure out which concept to go with. And then from there, you might want to um, take the key interactions from that concept, do a proof of concept test, and then uh, update your prototype with the results from the proof of concept test, and then start working with um, a, a prototyper who may work right with the development team. Um, to create a fleshed out production ready prototype. Because what, uh, what this will do is it will allow you to test the really important things to test and then um, the, the uh, developer will be able to create something that was, was more fleshed out and that can be used by the integration team or whatever you call them um, when you've got, you're gonna marry the back end stuff to the front end stuff. I've, uh, there's one organization that we've worked with that does it this way and um, it works out pretty well for them. So um, another context that I want to talk about is a corporate environment 
where um, the methodology is uh, more of a waterfall methodology, and that's not bad. Um, and user experience is new. So who here kind of fits into that sort of situation? Okay, a few of you, great. Um, you start off with developing detailed scenarios. You always want to, to start off this way, it doesn't matter what. Um, because you want to know, you, you want to understand exactly what it is you're going to prototype before you begin prototyping. Um, and what I've found in this sort of situation works well is that sketching is a little bit too much for people in an organization that um, who is new to user experience. Sketching is like what their children do. Um, <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they don't realize the, the, the real value of it because design hasn't really been a, a big part of this organization yet. So I would, at this point, I would kind of jump right into interactive prototyping and then walking through that prototype with the stakeholders, that, that'll generate some buy-in. And if possible, test with users. A, a lot of the time in that situation, um, user testing is not something that people are terribly keen on. Um, but if you can do it, I know you guys want to do it, so do whatever it takes to make that happen. But um, another thing that you need to do is, you know, this is a waterfall method, so instead of just throwing your prototype over the fence or throwing your spec over the fence, walk through both the printed documentation and the interactive prototype at the same time with the developers. That will really help them, uh, it'll help you be um, the most effective, or communicate in the most effective way, which is to not just tell, but show and tell. And you can bring your toys too. I think they like that. Um, and if possible, now I, I'm an actor guy, an actor can generate a, an annotated prototype. Um, so I like to do this for the developers that I work with. Um, if you can generate some sort of annotated prototype where the prototype is the documentation, um, that's an, another good way to really communicate more effectively because that way you don't have to crack open a 100-page spec. You can just click on a little note icon and say, oh, th these are the business rules around this drop-down box. So um, another context I want to talk about is uh, if you're a consultant or if you work in an agency. Um, this is my personal context. I'm particularly familiar with this one. Who else here works in that context? Wow, a lot of you guys. Good thing I'm not Dilbert. I'd be terrified by being um, surrounded by consultants. <laughs> uh, who can guess what the, what the first thing you do is? You guys are so smart. That's why I like hanging out with you guys for a week. You're smart. <laughs> um, so if you're a, a consultant or an agency, you're probably pretty far ahead uh, or pretty much at the front of user experience design practice. So hopefully you're sketching. Um, and hopefully you are concepting. And so you can also you can, you know, do what we've talked about before, which is sketch out your concepts, um, sketch them out more than a single sketch, put them into a little prototype, run a few people through them, and um, validate, or not validate, but choose your, uh, the appropriate concepts that way. And then walk through it with the client, again, to validate the direction. As consultants, um, it's very important to continually keep the client involved, especially at Evantage, we don't have either developers or creative staff. So it's really important for us to keep those people and everyone involved in, in creating the, the system involved throughout the process. And um, the stakeholders like to feel involved. And um, when we go back to them, validating the direction, um, that's something that, uh, that 
ends up getting us repeat business because they like working with us because we're nice. We are from Minnesota, after all. <laughs> so um, at, that, at this point, we would flesh out the interactive prototype because we're documenting it, remember, um, in, in a uh, corporate setting. Uh, at this point, or where you've got a mature agile and UX process, you might dump it off to a, a prototyper. But at this point, um, we still need to document it. So we need to flesh it out. And then again, we're going to walk through it with stakeholders. We're going to walk through it with developers. Um, and we're going to walk through it along with the printed documentation. So the last context that I want to talk about is in doing hardware devices. Now, this is something we have a little bit of experience doing, not too much. Um, but in our experience, um, what I'm going to talk about here works pretty well. What do you do first? There you go. Very smart. Um, now, what I, in our experience, I can tell you, you cannot do enough lo-fi prototyping here. Literally, you could, you could do this for six months, because um, you keep getting information back. And once you go to high functional fidelity prototyping, um, you're actually building physical devices. In some cases, custom coding chips and you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. So um, high functional fidelity prototyping for a hardware device has a, little, has a lot more expense than um, if you're doing a, a prototype of, let's say, a website or, or a pure software application. Um, uh, it, but eventually, you're going to have to do a high, a high functional fidelity prototype as a communication tool at the very least. So you can really communicate to the engineers exactly what the software side of the system needs to do. And um, one thing that you, I know you guys know this already, but um, this isn't something you can really hand off. You need to keep involved, keep collaborating with these people um, to make sure that, um, that the prototypes that they're developing are still going to be able to answer the same questions that you need answers to. So. Um, that's it, and we've got a few minutes for questions. It depends. Uh, I like to, uh, I have a personal preference for, uh, I, I apologize. See, I'm new to speaking in front of a big group. Uh, the question was, um, when we're doing iterative testing, do we test with the same people or with a different group of people? And it's my personal preference to test with a different group of people because the people who have already seen it have already seen it. So they're going to go through the same task and they're going to already know how to do it. So we're not, that, that'll be a, a kind of a confounding factor. Joe? Well, um, <laughs> the question is, um, where, does, where do things like um, expression blend <clears throat> fit in in terms of 
doing uh, production-ready prototypes. Um, well, it's interesting that you asked that right now because on Wednesday, apparently they announced something called Sketchflow, which is, uh, I, I've literally seen a single blog post and two screenshots about it. It looks cool, but, and it, it looks um, like they get the idea that user experience design starts at a very low level of fidelity and then can gradually build up. So that looks like something that's interesting to, to explore. I mean, I, I personally have never yet worked on a WPF project, so it probably wouldn't be terribly useful for me personally at this point. Um, the other thing that kind of fits into that category is Adobe Catalyst, formerly known as Thermo. Um, when I originally saw it, um, it, it seemed to deal with the visual design to development workflow, and it seemed to all but ignore the user experience design workflow. I had a conversation last night where I learned that apparently that's no longer the case, but I really have not seen it since Interaction 08, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a great concept. I think it, because, I mean, I, I get the impulse behind wanting a production-ready prototype because, you know, why, I could see how people would, would think that, you know, with an actor prototype where you're generating CSS, HTML, and JavaScript, well, we've already got all that. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a website. You know, why can't we just make it, why can't we just put that on our, on our server and make it go? Yeah. So. Any other questions? Okay, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, in, in the way that we got, um, the way that we integrated that into our uh, design processes, we started with a, a, a small little um, proof of concept test. Let me go back there and I'll show you what. So, yeah, this. With this particular project, um, <clears throat> we just did this part here first. We did a test of this part here first, and we learned a lot from that test. Um, we learned a lot that actually saved the customer a lot of money because the piece of functionality that we left out was for people who were very much ready to buy what this company was selling. So um, if we hadn't have done, had done that proof of concept test, we would have launched something that we thought was good and that wasn't meeting 100% of all their users' needs. So um, that's a, that was a very small project um, at first. That first test was small, but eventually we, we blew it out a little bit. Um, and then from there, um, the, the client that we were working for, they really liked that. They were very happy with the results. And um, from there, that was, that's how the interactive prototyping practice at eVantage grew. Um, kind of, I showed the other consultants what we were doing, what, the successes we made, um, and then you know up until two months, and then two months ago, now we're 100% always doing interactive prototypes. Yeah. 
What's the full moon? All right, let me see if I can. The full moon for doing a prototype. Well, um, I'm not really sure where to take that metaphor. But if you, if, okay, I'm going to turn it back to you. Where, what do you think would be the, the full moon or, or, not, or the not full moon? Mm -hmm. is to be conscious that a lot of your test scenarios are going to be, okay, they're going to click on the about us and give a list of our addresses. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, okay, I, I get you now. Here, this is your werewolf. This is the key interaction on this particular site. Um, and that's why we tested that interaction by itself first. Because it if that interaction didn't work, the whole site wouldn't work. So I would say that the, that the full moon is in whatever is the most critical interaction or, or series of critical interactions in your system. And then, like the normal day, we did actually test the contact us part of this. Um, after we did the original proof of concept test and we did a more comprehensive test of kind of the whole workflow of, well, not, not workflow, it's an enjoyable site, the whole enjoyment flow of how people went through this site. So um, I think we're actually at about five minutes over, but you know, I'll be hanging around um, the whole time. So if, if, if you have more questions, feel free to come up and ask. I love talking about this stuff. Thanks. To hear even more presentations from the 2009 IA Summit, point your browser to boxesandarrows.com and click on the podcast link. There you'll find access to the iTunes feed and more information about each presentation. Our heartfelt thanks to the organizers and sponsors of the 10th Annual IA Summit, the presenters, and of course to the global community. We look forward to feedback about future episodes that will be of greatest value to you, our listeners.